This is the Queen Behavior Change Podcast. That's queen-like royalty and behavior change, like turning over a new leaf. The focus of our program is science-based mental health care. I'm your host, Dr. Annie Morrow, and it's time to start the show. A couple quick announcements. This show is intended for adults. It is also important to say that this podcast is not medical or psychological advice, nor is it treatment. Welcome to the show, Sammy. Thank you for having me, Annie. So I think we were talking about this earlier. The way that I start out the introductions is that I'll have the guests say their name, their degrees, where they got the degree, and any relevant licenses or certifications. Okay, so I am Sam Sarah Lesperance. A lot of people know me as Sammy, and that's how Annie is going to refer to me throughout the um, the podcast. Um, I received my BA, uh, my bachelor's from FIU, um, with the focus of psychology. I also have a RBT certification, um, and that is <laughs> Annie and I talked about this a little bit, so I'm going to elaborate. <laughs> Um, that is the, regis- uh, the registered behavioral technicians uh, certification, and that allows me to work um, doing behavior modification with kids that have ADHD, with kids that have autism, um, and it's, it's, that's basically what my focus and all the things that I have been doing since I actually met Annie in yeah. 2015. And yeah. and I'm going to shout out that FIU is uh, Florida International University in Miami, Florida, and I also went there. I, mm-hmm. Sammy went there for her undergraduate degree, and I was there for graduate school. So in that summer of 2015, when we first met, um, that's that was uh, where, and it was a program affiliated with uh, Florida International University. Yes, we've done plenty of those. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah, that was the first time that we met. Then we worked, that was a summer program. Then we worked in after-school programs together. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we were working this past year, like the 2019 mm-hmm. to 2020 uh, mm-hmm. academic year, we were working together at a different university, Nova Southeastern, in mm-hmm. an autism center. So we've, yep. we've, we've been in a lot of shared locations. Yeah, which, is, which have been fun. All all around uh, behavior modification. <laughs> yeah, supporting kids, helping them learn and grow. Yep. So, okay, so the next thing after people go over some of their, their name, their degree, their uh, licenses or certifications is next I have the guests just share anything they'd like to about their identity. Okay, so <laughs> Annie and I have this shared trait here. Um, we are both uh, Frenchy dog moms. My dog's name is Ash. He's and my dog's one. name is Castiel. Yeah. And they're yin and yang, like <laughs> we are. Um, <laughs> okay, so am- let me clarify for the listeners, because I know my aunts are listening to the show. What Sammy meant by that they're yin and yang, like we are, is that so we have identical looking French bulldogs, and I am white, and Sammy identifies as black, and my dog has white fur, and her dog has black fur. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, it's just perfect. Um, so yeah, I am black. Um, <laughs> my family is Haitian, but my fun fact always, whenever we have any, yeah. you know, two truths and a lie or whatever. Exactly. I was born in Costa Rica. My parents were doing medical school there. I will always use that one because everyone's like, "What? Are you serious? You're born in Costa Rica?" I'm like, "Yes, I was." Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, no, I was laughing so much at that you introduced that part of your identity as you're like, and uh, Annie and I have uh, yin and yang dogs. <laughs> oh, and I forgot to ask, what's the name of the program that you're working in now? So it is called the Plus Program. Um, so it's we originally had it called Preschool Plus. So it's like mm -hmm. us getting them prepared for preschool. And then we added like the plus on top of it um, because they're also getting the behavior modification. They're getting the parental, the parent training groups that uh, you were just talking about. Um, so it was just like preschool and then plus, but then we just decided to get rid of the preschool because we wanted to open it up to um, younger kids, like maybe that they're not even going into preschool just yet. Um, but we wanted to open it up to them and then see if like we could just be a help or like a resource to like children that are already experiencing difficulties, like maybe at three or, or And what four. type of difficulties um, are yeah. common among the kids in the program you work in now? Yeah, so it's, it's, so we started off with a smaller group um, and um, usually typically at the programs that we worked out at FIU, we had anywhere from 12 to 15 kids in one group. Um, but since this was new and like, you know, we're, we're still trying to like collect data, we're still trying to get the funding and all the grants and all that, all that fun stuff. We started smaller and we're able to give our kids like scholarships and things like that to be a part of our program just so that we can get it up and up and going. So we had um, six at a time and out of the six that we had, um, so we had six at a time, but we did it during the summertime and we did it during the, um, during the winter. Um, and out of the six, both times, um, five out of the six were already kicked out of like two to three schools. And what were um, they kicked for, out of preschools or other schools, daycare? What were they kicked out for? So they were usually kicked out for um, just maladaptive behaviors, you know, destroying classrooms, um, you know, verbally, physically abusing like teachers, um, things like that, um, where like the teachers just felt like they couldn't, they didn't have like the supports needed to right. like help the families out um, and helping help the child because he, they, he or she were providing, like, it was just unsafe for everybody else around them. Right. Um, we had, you know, we had, I think we had one that was struggling more so with inattention. Um, and before their parents were thinking about um, maybe doing medication, they like found us and they came to us because they were like, my child's four years old. I don't know if I want to put them on medication just yet or some and I sort can of. I can link yeah, in the uh, show notes, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends mm -hmm. that people start with behavior therapy in all cases before the child is six years old. Um, not mm -hmm. that Sammy or, or I prescribe medications, um, but the American Academy of, P of Pediatrics recommends that you start with behavior therapy. And that's mm -hmm. what uh, Sammy is talking about that she provides in the program where she currently works now. So mm -hmm. just to sort of summarize, I know for my aunts that are listening, I met Sammy uh, back in 2015. We were then working in a summer program at Florida International University for children that I wanna say in every case had a formal diagnosis of ADHD, wow. attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And those kids were primarily elementary school aged. So mm -hmm. five years to 12 years, things like that. 
Um, and then she's worked in a number of different programs and currently she works in the early early childhood range. So maybe um, you three know, to several, five. yeah, three to five, several years old to getting ready to kindergarten. Um, yeah. So, okay, I know we've been chatting for so long about sort of where you're at. I, I think it's nice for people, um, you know, that are listening, that are interested in going from an undergraduate degree to a graduate program to hear some of the stories about what, you know, what on-the-job experience have you had? What were some of the different degrees that you were considering, you know, clinical psychology versus behavior analysis? Um, so I wanted, though, before I take up too much of Sammy's time, jump into the parts of the show that I introduce in a stupid voice. So in this segment, guests will share a clinical pearl of wisdom, something that they've learned for observation and or experience, and I call it practical pearls. <laughs> well, Annie, my practical pearl um, would have to be um, and we talked about this just a little bit, um, but I think um, just like letting everyone know, all of our uh, listeners, that positive reinforcement works across the board Every for everyone, any situation. It should be our go-tos, but I think a lot of the times we're just so um, like we have our demands and we have our expectations where if they're not met, um, instead of giving the positive reinforcement. So just giving like maybe praise or like, you know, like some of the silly instances of like giving like a skittle or like giving something that someone would really, 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 really enjoy. Um, when oh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in and say a skittle is an American candy for the people <laughs> that are listening in other countries that don't know what a skittle is. Yes. And, uh, Oh, and when Sammy said praise for people that are listening um, different linguistic backgrounds and other things like that. A, a labeled praise or a praise is a specific compliment. So um, she's going to give a lot of details, but there were a couple terms you used where I was like, whoa, I don't know if yeah. Germans know what Skittles are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. And using compliments completely free. And that's something that, you know, <clears throat> what it's really going to take is just some processing. Okay. So like, what, how can I say this? What is the right way? And Annie said that it's a labeled praise and that's where we want to be specific about it. So if, you know, Annie is sitting very nicely in front of her mic, I can say, Annie, I love the way that you are sitting so nicely in front of the mic. And that should help, you know, Annie, want to do that more often she's already smiling you know we're i just you know we're we're so used to giving each other praise and like doing like the um the trainings and all that stuff together where like at this point we're like oh yeah yeah sammy always uses me or annie always uses me um but still like just the enthusiasm that comes out when you're giving the praise or like just how specific it is like um that's what's going to um make make that behavior show up a little bit more more often because of um, just the delivery of it and then the, the specificity of it all. Um, they will want to do what you're, what you're describing. I yeah. Know, I go on about yeah. This. And I think kind of just like kind of piggyback off what you were saying, like even like, okay, so like with ADHD in a child, it's going to look different for every child. Um, and um, as they grow older, 
um, ADHD doesn't just go away. Like it's just gonna present itself in a different way. So you can kind of think about that as praise. So like with our kids, with you know my my kids that I'm working with, three to five, I'm going to have to be more enthusiastic. I'm going to mm-hmm. have to be more specific. I'm going to have to do it immediately and tell them what I like and you know that I want to see more of that. Um, and for my aunts, for my aunts that are yeah. listening to the show, I think some of them know this. Sammy talked about immediate, and there's a million reasons why it's better to say a compliment to a preschooler immediately. Um, but in your setting, if you waited five, even ten seconds after they did something good, and you waited to say the compliment, what would likely occur during those <laughs> five or ten seconds? Something bad's gonna occur. <laughs> Something's bad's gonna happen. So as soon as they say, <laughs> as soon as they do the positive um, choice, or you know they're working hard, or they're being in their area, or they have their, they have safe hands, or whatever nice mm-hmm. thing they're doing, you've got to jump on it and get your compliment in before mm-hmm. the clock runs out and something else comes up. Exactly. And then now you just said a compliment right after they did something that was uh, not that not the mm-hmm. right choice for that moment, or maybe not mm-hmm. safe at that particular moment. Yeah. And then that becomes uh, confusing. Um, so like, we're going to like overly saturate with the praise when they're younger. All right. He's That's quiet. You. He's quiet now. Give him some uh, positive reinforcement. <laughs> <laughs> Good boy. Yeah. We love you, Castiel. Good job. There you go. Perfect. Oh, that yeah. was <laughs> Um, not Pass. everyone, not, <laughs> not everyone is going to have that like skill. Um, but like, it has to be something where like you understand like how valuable it is. Cause I don't really think people think it's valuable, like positive reinforcement to people. Like, in my opinion, it's not very valuable, um, because of the fact that you're like, you're expecting someone to do these things. You're like, it's like common knowledge air quotes to like, you know, sit nicely or like whatever. You're just like, it's easier to just get frustrated rather than to like, look for the things that like, and like I would even mention to say, um, a lot of the times in the classrooms that I worked with, which is just, just piggybacking on the warmth. This is where it's tying in. Um, But like in most of the classrooms that I've worked with, I've had to like take on the role of the more serious, the, Mm -hmm. I guess, like the one that's like going to deal with the like, you know, um, and they would still choose me, even though I was handling, you know, those like difficult situations because I worked even harder um to make sure that I was positive I was warm and I was always praising and like I would be tired at the end of the day you know constantly speak talking and you know just um okay on a somewhat related topic I want to switch to do the the science one so that is where I will introduce this part of the show in a stupid voice Sammy (laughs) is going to talk about a recent scientific project and the name of this segment is called Science Time. <laughs> and, and your scientific project is still pretty much related to our overall topic of some of these programs that you've worked in. And yeah. So, okay, l- I want to hear you say it. Science Time. <laughs> You're the only one who did the voices with me, so I didn't have to be alone. 
Okay. Um, so for science time with with Miss Sammy and Miss Annie. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> everyone calls us. No matter Sammy, like I didn't call her it to, today, but everyone in these programs that we worked with all the time, they would always call us Miss Sammy and Miss Annie, Miss Annie, Miss Annie. I love you, Miss Annie. You know who that is. Uh -huh. Exactly. My, oh, so uh, there's so many kids that we love so much, and they would say, "I, know. I love you, Miss Annie." Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know who that is. <laughs> okay, so I had the privilege of working in um, different programs that are like the one that I was uh, just talking about at Nova. And in different um, and locations. I, yes, and in different locations, different population. It was just, it's, it's so interesting to see. Um, it's just so interesting to, to see like, you know, different population, different kids, different all, all of that. Um, and I was able to um, do a case study um, on one of our kids. Well, like just start it. Um, and then I was able to, to present that case study um, at ABCT in okay. 2016. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to read the date. Can I read the date and the okay. exact title? Yeah, go Sammy ahead. Sammy and I were both there. Okay. So um, the date was Thursday, October 27th in New York, in New York City and New York State. And mm -hmm. ABCT stands for the Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Therapies. You want me to read the title too? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, and at, let's see, at 9.30 a.m. on that day, <laughs> October 27th, 2016, Sammy presented her um, case study and the title was Behavioral Modification System and Parental Involvement Used to Treat a Child with Disruptive Behaviors in an Unreached, po unreached Population. And it was a presentation by Sammy Les Browns that you've been listening to and Kat Hart from Florida International University. Yes. Um, this was such an amazing experience. I was nervous. Um, very, very nervous. Um, you were amazing I, and everyone was so impressed. <laughs> I think I cracked the joke and then after I cracked the joke, I was okay. I stopped sweating. Um, but this was, this was such, um, this was just such a different, I guess, um, experience. Like the program that we worked at was because we were in Liberty City, Miami, um, and Liberty City, Miami, um, is, is known for like high rates of crime and high rates of violence. Um, one of the, one of the statistics that I pulled up from, um, just, uh, researching Liberty City and just like getting everything prepared was that, um, in 2016, there, there were, there was an average of 8,282 bullet shots per year. And that's 22 bullet shots fired daily. So that's a lot. There's a lot going on. They're also in Grand, Grand Theft Auto, I think. I think they have their own little segment for Grand Theft Auto. Um, and, and Grand well, Theft I think Auto. it was like uh, the, the fictionalized title, I think they called it like Vice City or something. I don't know that, it, I don't know that to be true. Is but it? yeah, I, I think, yeah. I, I think what you were saying of Grand Theft Auto is just that mm um the the entertainment industry was trying uh -huh. to create a fictionalized version of this neighborhood probably mm. without the input of anyone in that neighborhood yeah, and, yeah of course yeah to of course. did it totally offensive um but but i think that it yeah it's a it's 
there's a lot going on in this neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And what Sammy was talking about um, with her case study is, you know, we've talked all about these programs and, you know, doing the compliments and all that. And what does that look like when you're in a very different location than in which some of these programs were originally developed? Yeah, exactly. Um, So most of the programs were, and Annie, correct me if I'm I'll jump in. Um, I, most of these programs um, were tested with like white kids with like more predominantly. Yeah, I was was talking about that on the first episode. I was talking about that on the first episode because um, there's the base of, of some of this research originally, originally of, you know, work to support parent-child interactions, you know, when mm-hmm. children are exhibiting disruptive behavior, that a lot of these original programs, the, like the parent uh, coaching program, uh, mm. that that came out of Oregon many decades okay. ago. And then there, people have taken that work and then spread it out into other uh, areas. Um, but, you know, Connie Humph was the the res- well, she was a clinician that trained a bunch of researchers. But anyway, okay. that woman that was in Oregon, you know, Oregon is one of the whitest states in America. And mm-hmm. so I was talking about this with Carrie Alvarez in the uh, first show, and she's doing uh, parent management training, the Oregon model. And she's okay. working with, and they've done a lot uh, with uh, parent management training to um, to really expand into to conduct research with these kinds of treatment models. And hers is a a group-based parent program or individual, I think, based parent program. Um, And that she's working with these families, oftentimes in her case with uh, a Hispanic or Latinx background and sometimes um, working in other languages such as Spanish or also just working with English speaking Latinx or Hispanic uh, families. And so I think what Sammy was talking about in this summer was really what it was like working in this neighborhood of Liberty City that honestly is is so poorly known um, what is actually going on in this neighborhood that there's a video game that tried to capitalize on that. And who knows if they even consulted a single person in that area. And then now that's what other people, if anyone's ever heard of it. The other the other thing actually, that I say a- now too is, is uh, the movie, the Oscar um, award-winning movie Moonlight was set in this uh-huh. neighborhood. Uh-huh. So, yes. so people have no yeah. connection to Miami or no connection to Liberty City, but maybe they watched the Oscar movies. I sometimes throw that in there of, oh, you know, maybe you've seen elements of this neighborhood um, that were mm-hmm. depicted in Moonlight. And there, there were a number of things that I thought that movie did very well. Um, yeah. First of all, just that the people who developed the movie were representative of the area. Um, mm-hmm among other things that's the way to do it yeah um so yeah so this it was just an a unique experience um and like i guess like even in my own family like um there's just like me going in there um like after um i think i did um three back-to-back programs before i actually um in in miami um south miami south miami we're considered South Miami, right? When by FIU, I think they call it Fountain Blue. I, I, I or just Miami, Miami Dade, yeah. Miami Dade. Okay, I don't yeah. know. There Unincorporated Miami. I don't know. I, I. <laughs> okay, so three back-to-back programs. Oh, in, Sweetwater. In Miami I think. Yes, yeah, Sweetwater. Sweetwater. Uh-huh. Sorry, yeah. Sweetwater wasn't it? Yeah. 
Um, so the three back-to-back programs. Um, in another there. in another neighborhood, maybe twenty minutes away from the neighborhood that she's talking about now. Yes, yes. Um, but I would say, like you would say, they're. I mean, yeah, they're pretty pretty different, pretty different neighborhoods. Yeah, um, and in the school where we spent the most of our time together, it was um, ninety nine percent Hispanic or Latinx, mm-hmm. and so. Mm-hmm. Obviously, some of the uh, children and families that we worked with um, there had a, just a different story than Liberty City, where I don't know what, what the percentage breakdown was, but if you had a comment on the ethnic and racial background of Liberty City, what would, what would you uh, say it was for the summer where you were working there that you did this case study, the hmm. percentages, I mean, roughly? I, I would like to say like maybe like 90s eight 99% black black okay. african-american um, and what percent would you say because i know so you were saying earlier on the show that that you're haitian and you've told me just separate from the show that you understand uh, creole what percentage yeah. of the the families would you say identifies as both black and and haitian or haitian american that's a good one i mean maybe like anywhere because maybe like 30 to 40 percent of our kids there oh okay there there was a there was a good amount and the kid that i actually did the um case study on he was black haitian okay. um he identified as black haitian um so like just knowing like background and like of haitians and you know things like that it's just there's like mistrust and like psychology mistrust and diagnoses mistrust and like a lot of things so I'm like how is this program going to work over there you know like just like knowing you know just how how we how how we are um and I think um why um my this his pseudo name for my project was Carter so why Carter actually did as well as he did was because of his parents and his the parental involvement and that's where like I didn't know how our kids how the kids at Liberty City would do just because of you know um what do you think make- are some of the reasons behind um what you were saying is the is mistrust you know you were saying oh um talking about mistrust and I was just curious what do you think are some of the reasons behind that yeah um so i i think a lot of the like um i don't know i think it could be just like history like just the history of it all and like who's actually like going in like to provide the services like i feel like that's what kind of like has people hesitant Yes, I think like they had the factor of like this program being completely free and it being helpful and it's providing breakfast, lunch and breakfast and lunch and snack to their children. Um, but I like I, I would just always see like, even if it was like just a little ounce, <clears throat> but there was like some sort of hesitation, like when the families had to like interact with like psychologists or like any of that just like maybe like the mistrust and like um mistrust or like the embarrassment of being labeled could be um mistrust and like the treatment not like trusting that you know like whoever's here to 
the provide the services will actually provide the services correctly for them. Um, I think it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's, it's a lot of, you know, just, and I guess comfort as well. Like, you know, not to like, you know, be like, I feel like the way that the families interacted with me, like being black and Haitian was a lot different than the way that they like interacted with like, you know, the white psychologists. Cause I think they were just like, maybe like intimidated or like they maybe like felt judged or like, there's just, I feel like there's just that like, and not to like bring this into you know, like a racial Oh, I think this is one of the most important things. Like when you talk about this, I think you put it so eloquently. And I agree. Like if I had to pick one word as to what, what would be some of the, the reasons contributing, I love that you said the word history first. I think there's hundreds and hundreds of years of history of people with white skin telling people with black and brown skin what Mm -hmm. to do, how to raise their children. Um, and people with white skin being in quote unquote a position of power and you know even the dynamic of of this camp like you were saying it wasn't there was a or a behavioral treatment program um mm-hmm. that the, the oftentimes the people that had lighter skin were in a decision making capacity of who gets into the camp or who doesn't mm-hmm. or how is the camp trained and so i agree i think that there's a lot of history i think history is such a strong mm-hmm way to start out your answer and then all the bullet points that you made. I, I think that's so true. And, um, you know, as you were saying it so eloquently, and I think that what, what would be really helpful going forward is for there to be better representation in the field, Mm -hmm. you know, even on this podcast, this is now Mm -hmm. the seventh episode. Um, Mm -hmm. and you're the first black person to talk yeah. on the show. And it's it's not because I don't want to interview people that are black or African American. That desperately I do. It's yeah. just that I there's there's a lack of uh representation um mm-hmm. across the board. I mean, I think um in academia, I don't know the numbers, but there are very few black female professors, very few. Yeah, of course. And and then to like focus on like uh ADHD or like oh, any yeah. of that like I feel like it's just not it's not common it's not it's you know unfortunately yeah and um, then and we had a, a boss um Fionn Viotas that is mm-hmm. a black female psych- clinical psychologist and master's in public health um professor mm-hmm. and she was the director of one of the programs where we worked yeah. um yeah. and it was just so it was so important I think for for a lot of us that got to work um yeah. for Fionn and learn from her She's also a member of the motivational interviewing trainers, and okay. one of the other episodes, uh, Maggie Sibley is also has that mm-hmm. um, distinction where she, uh, Fian Viotas has a million and one clinical skills, um, but among them is this motivational interviewing, and she's mm-hmm. so good at talking to people, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and working with people of all different kinds of backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. So just, I think we had, we had, we were lucky, really lucky. Um, that we got to to know someone um, like Fian uh, Viotas, that was our director. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, it's it's yeah, I agree with you. I think it's and that's what I really liked about um, this uh, case presentation was that you were talking about some of these issues that I think sometimes people just kind of gloss mm-hmm. over. You know, even yeah. the whole chat that we had today about positive reinforcement. You know, if you show up and and um, 
the summer of uh the summer of 2016 that was the that was the summer where there were so many just heart-wrenching heartbreaking headlines of uh-huh. violence yep. against yep. um from the police against um at black yep. and african american people so there was just so much going on and so to to show up in the middle of um, you know, all of those headlines and then, and talk about compliments, you know, it, it wasn't, that wasn't like an easy, um, exactly. oh yeah, yeah, one, two, three, do the compliment, you know? Yeah. And I think that was like a good, like that was such, it was so important. Um, the staff that they had doing the like parent, um, parent groups, um, it was Miguel, uh, Miguel Viotas, who's the <laughs> husband of, uh, Fian Viotas. And then also and Randy. Randy. Yeah. So like, it was like perfect because there was one, and I think like, this is something else that's like, like, it's just something that's like, really hold on hard. one second. Like, this is so important. Castiel's barking again. Castiel. Yeah. So, um, it was so important to have, um, the people that we had in charge of the parenting groups that year because of the stuff that was going on. So like, they were able to like, just, um, like just kind of like do away with like the curriculum or like the things that they had to cover and just talk about that because that's super important. Could you imagine like walking in? And I think like this is, this is like, that's something that like um, is hard about, um, you know, and or like what um, brings about more like mistrust and more, you know, like just hesitation between like um, black, brown, African-American people like having to like go to like these different spaces to receive like um, any like therapies or anything or help, you know, in general, because of like the fact that there's an agenda and we have to stick to the agenda all the time. And that doesn't always work, you know, like we would have, sometimes we do have to go off script and just kind of like talk about what's really going on due to like, you know, there's already like that barrier. So like, we're gonna have to try our best to like break down that barrier and breaking down that barrier does not necessarily mean that we're going to stick along with like your agenda. So like, I couldn't even imagine like if they had like the program now and they weren't able to like, um, they weren't able to realize the fact that like, maybe they might have to like, not really like get involved into like, oh, praising your child or like, you know, the proper way to do a timeout and talk about these issues because that's like the only way that you're going to grow that connection and like, you know, break those barriers of like, you know, the mistrust between, you know, the the different groups and stuff. And I think what Sammy's talking about too is like, I'm trying to think back if I have any like really crisp examples of this, but there are manuals, like, uh, like I'm envisioning like a book, like a, you know, like a binder that has, okay, week one, we're going to go over these worksheets. Week two, we're going to go over these worksheets. And, you know, and, and like Sammy was saying, like a huge part of the success that the clinicians that were running that group, um, as she was describing in her research presentation, a huge part of the success that they made in connecting with these parents and these families was their ability to cover the information in that manual, but also have days where, you know, it wasn't like apocalyptic headlines about mm-hmm. police brutality, and then they hand you a worksheet with a cartoon mm-hmm. on it and say, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to talk about the worksheet with the cartoon. No, they could just say, okay, today we're not going to talk about the worksheets at all. But yeah. clearly, I think those clinicians um, uh, 
uh, you know, Miguel Vieres and um, what, wait, what's Randy's last name? I know this. Why can't I think of uh, this? Chat. It starts with this. It's oh, C-A. Cheatham Johnson. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Yes. And yes, so yes, yes, yes. Randy, Randy Cheatham Johnson is, she's also um, another, um, uh, she's I think on post, she's a postdoctoral fellow mm-hmm. in clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she's a researcher um, and has clinical psychology training. And so again, it was like this, this program, I think, had a lot of all-stars uh, that were that were a part of the team that's, that Sammy's describing the success for. Yeah, and then I think, like, honestly, too, um, that attributed to, like, the success that, um, that my, um, that Carter had was because of the fact that um, even during, like, the parental involvement was so huge. Like, I have, let me look really fast. Um, he, he was there, um, every day, his parents attended, um, if not both mom, but I, I'm pretty sure dad, um, was there at least five out of the eight days out of five out of the eight parent training. So like, that's huge. And yeah, I mean that kind of attendance to bring your child every single day to a treatment program and then also go to these parent meetings and go to the majority of them. It's not easy. People are busy. Mm Mm-hmm. So like being able to do that, um, we had our thing called the daily report card. So that's like our way of like talking to, like communicating to the parents and letting them know how their child was doing during that day, um, was signed and returned. And they let, uh, they made sure that they wrote what he got for his reward based on the color of his day. So if he had a green day, he had like something really fun. I think the, um, the one so that like the way that you did yeah. these um daily report cards and the well I, I call them sometimes the teachers or parents that haven't heard that term. I, I say it's just a behavior chart. It's like a behavior yeah. chart. Yeah. You, you did the color system. So green, yellow. Yeah. Green is a good day, yellow is a medium day, and a red is a not yeah. so good day. Yeah. So they got some sort of a reward for green and yellow. And then nothing really like it's like business as usual. Like that's what I would always tell the parents. I like it's business as usual, you know, do dinner. Like if you guys ever, if you guys do like a little activity, like before you go to bed, brush teeth and then just go to bed. Um, but then like the, the green and the yellow days have to be like something that like, you know, is enjoyable. I think his thing was um, always going outside, like to ride. And so bike. then the difference for green and yellow would be the amount of the enjoyable mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. The amount of time or like, if like he likes something a little bit more, then those aren't just for like the green days. And if there's like something that he's like eh, about, then those are for the yellow days. Um, but, um, so yeah, so mom returned the, the daily report card 91% of the, of the, of the time. So 90, so 91% of the program days she returned them. I think that was like 32 out of the 34 days that he was there, something like that, or, or 30, 31, something like that. Um, and then they returned homework. So we also gave homework, um, every day but except for uh fridays and um, so for these them. were these were like coloring and tracing kind of homework, yeah, and then exactly. you gave it as a way to sort of build an opportunity for exactly. the parents to practice yeah. the skills exactly so so mom uh and dad returned at 86 percent of the time and that's huge because even like in the other communities that we work with like getting families to bring their homework back or getting families to you know, return the daily report card, go to parent training, get their kids there on time. Like it was, it was a task, you know? And I'm like, to like, see, like, 
I think a lot of the times too, like it's easier for the families. Well, not easier, but like, um, let me think of a different word than easier. Um, they like, I guess like it was just like a, it's not even a dependent thing, but like, okay. So it was a little easier and you, you can help me there. It was, a little, it was like a little easier for us. I mean, for the families to just kind of, um, you know, just send their kids to, to um, our, our program um, and then like expect us to just, you know, help them out and, you know, like essentially like help with their problem behaviors. And, I see and, what you, and yeah, I see what you mean. I think what Sammy is talking about is that there are some families that participate in behavioral treatment programs as a respite. You know, she had talked mm -hmm. earlier about children that have been kicked out of other preschools, and it may be that the parent had a job, wanted to drop their child off at a behavioral program that will provide childcare safely to their son or daughter. And in terms of the parent meetings that she was talking about, so in this case, her case study, Carter attended, mm -hmm. his family attended the majority of these parent meetings. Um, mm -hmm. And in the parent meetings, that's where they would go over things like compliments and all that other stuff, mm -hmm. um, as well as talk about what was going on in the world during that summer. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that like what Sammy was saying is that there are some parents where they were really interested in the respite side of things. They were really interested in dropping their child off at a program. And in the case of this child's family, they were really interested in this as a learning opportunity and to figure out what was going um, so well at this program where their son was, uh, what, and what were some of the behaviors that, that he yeah, were going really I, well? Yeah, I was just looking at that. So like, so we have, um, uh, so he was in extended timeouts. So he was very dysregulated and the three ways that there were that, um, a child would go to timeout would be if they were to hit anyone, if they were to break anything, or if they weren't listening. Like repeatedly. Yeah, repeatedly. Um, and that's just like, that's why we try our best to make all of the activities super fun and engaging and saturate our kids with the positive reinforcement that we were talking about earlier is that so timeout is just that undesirable. They would rather be in the activity or in the program with us. Um, but he like on average um, a week would spend anywhere from 70. He, he would, he, for the, so the first week when we collected the, or the first three weeks when we collected data for baseline for him he spent um 70 70 hours 70 sorry 70 minutes in timeout and he was out of his seat um 56 times like during the day during the during the week at the beginning and then um, toward the, the end of the program yeah. what did it look like towards the end we were able to get his um area call so out of his seat down to six times a week and his minutes and timeout were down to three minutes so okay at the beginning of the so, program he spent 70 mm -hmm. minutes a day in timeout and by the end of the program he was spending three minutes a day in timeout yep. and then in terms of being out of the area where he was supposed to be it was mm -hmm. 56 times a day on average at the beginning and then it was six times a day on average at the end yes yes I got so, it. 
That was a significant, like it was a significant change. Like there was, there would be sometimes, like when things like finally settled, we would be like, "Is Carter here?" Because he was just like, you know, he was doing everything perfectly, and that's where we jumped on praising, like positive reinforcement, just keeping him where he was, um, and continuing to do what um, he was supposed to. Um, and then when we did our six month follow up, I'm trying to remember. I think when we did our six month follow up mom said that he was doing like well and I again like I attribute that to like their involvement like their parental involvement we don't we're not sure like you know like how he's doing now um but six months after he was with us you know like he mom said that he was doing well um I think he even got like some reward or not rewards uh certificate of recognition at school um for like I think I think it was behavior or grades. So I need to make sure to say thank you because I really appreciate all of your time yeah, before I sign off. And what yeah. other um, what other questions or points did you have before we sign off? I don't think anything. Annie's yeah. amazing. I, I, <laughs> well, I don't know about say. that. It's, it's good that you're doing this though, honestly, like um, to like yeah. give tools like to I like hope, defend I hope that I hope too that the undergraduates, if there's any mm -hmm. are, that listen yeah. to this, um, got to hear someone like you talk about what you did with your psychology degree and what do you want to do next. And yeah. my mom has really been forcing me to say right before I end the show that people need to um, click to rate and review the podcast. I was like, mm -hmm. wait, what are the steps? Yes, to click right. rate right. and review. And write a review, tell us what you think, connect with us on social media, um, but definitely to, you know, make sure to chime in because apparently that's very important for podcasts. So I'm going to go ahead and sign off. I just have to click the record button. We hope you liked the show. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Queen Behavior Change and on TikTok and at Twitter at Queen BEE -E Change. Queen BEE -E Change. Thanks again. Talk to you soon.